Hey, welcome to a Bald Move TV podcast. We're talking about making a murder. I'd say it's due to popular demand, except for it's a weird snake eating its tail of everyone is talking about this, so I decided to watch it. But then, like, about episode four, after the third or fourth time that I almost self-combusted just out of rage and anger and frustration, <laughs> uh-huh. I'm like, fuck this. In fact, I decided halfway through watching that whether you'd seen it or not, I was, I, if I had to do a solo Game of Thrones spoiler-style podcast <laughs> where I just host a bunch of conspiracy theory talk and bullshit, mm-hmm. I would do so. Happily, over the weekend, you caught the bug. Yeah, you told me, you texted me one night, and we're like, man, you got to watch Making a Murder. It's, right. you know, the hype, with the hyperbole that everyone gives it. And, like, I was, I was in. I was like, okay, I'll check it out. You know, I hadn't heard. So I, I vaguely recall, like, hearing stuff about this sure. case back when it happened. Like, I remember maybe Brendan Dassey's face somewhere on the TV and, like, sure. Stephen Avery's face. Yep. Didn't know anything about the details of the case, though. So, like, when you were. Saying, oh, it might be the next Jinx, or it might be the next uh, serial. I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I I did. I binged. I I basically binged as much as I could binge. Like, I started midday on a Friday. It's a long series. It's 10 episodes, 10 hours long. I I started midday on a Friday, watched seven hours, was like, I can't do this anymore, went to bed, and woke up the next morning and finished it. Like, there was one occasion where I stayed up, like, to 2 o'clock in the morning to get that extra (laughs) episode in, but that episode made me so angry (laughs) that I went to bed and just tossed and turned for 60 more minutes just because it, it took me that long to calm down. Yeah. Like, my heart pounded. Might as well have watched another. I know, right? <laughs> but then I would the, the hate yep. train would have kept on rolling. So uh, it's something else. And I've since read a ton of material, you know, pro and con against the documentary. Um, where do you stack it up against Jinx and Serial? I think it's better than Serial. The first season. Uh, it's, it's... I don't know. I The... It's interesting to me the angle that this takes because this this making a murderer thing very much in my opinion takes the angle of Stephen Avery is innocent. Yes, I don't I don't think it's hard to argue that that the documentary itself is trying to point that fact out. Yeah, serial uh, I felt was more balanced. Like I never felt like so. Well, okay, so I felt both things. Right, I felt like it, at times Sarah Canning is is leading me down the he's innocent road. At times she's leading me down the he's guilty road. See, I always thought so that felt she more was pro Adnan. And then her final statement on the matter. I thought she was, but I don't think the show was, mm. if you can make that distinction. That's the thing with bias, what it is, you wonder if you can be, like, you almost have to approach it not caring to arrive at that result. But anything you're going to throw yeah. yourself that passionately into, you have it, to have it, a you're side. Right. You're right. Although I yeah. felt like Sarah did a better job than the filmmakers here did of, mm. of staying as neutral as they could. Okay. Uh, the jinx is something entirely different. The jinx is the other side of this coin, right? Like. Uh-huh. You're it's, right. This is this is trying mirror. to prove a guilty man innocent. The other Jinx is trying to prove a guilt a guilty man guilty. Right? Yeah. Like <laughs> a, a, a found innocent man guilty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of approaching it from the exact opposite direction. So it's hard to say which one is better. Now, I will say that there was nothing in making a murder. And by the way. Spoiler, spoiler central here. Yeah, this we're going to talk the, all about the. Series. You should if if you if you liked in either of those others, if you like the Jinx, if you like Serial, you have to watch this show. It's worthy of both of those. Yeah, and so, I, I honestly, sure. if you don't have any experience in a genre, if you just want to see how the American justice system, maybe it went wrong, maybe it didn't, but surely, I mean, I, I think that any person, any citizen, watches this film 
my one you might feel angry but i also felt fear in several like hmm. man this could happen to me or people that i have known or, you know especially if you have a teenage sons and daughters yeah i think it's it's something that you probably ought to see and then you know you make up your own mind and do some your own research and follow the case because it's it's an on it's now become an ongoing thing which we'll talk about here in a bit but mm-hmm. uh from here on out yeah it's gonna be spoiler city yeah and I, I forget where I was going with that. We're comparing it to I the Jinx myself. and whether it's better or not and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, okay, okay. So the most shocking moment when compared to the Jinx is mm-hmm. not nearly as shocking. I mean, the end of the Jinx is perhaps the most shocking thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, the most shocking moment in this is probably the reveal of the blood vial being tampered with. Although the clo- I think that for me, the whole episode centering around Brandon's interrogation was yeah, hard for me I mean, to watch because I... It's shocking in a different way, right? It's not a big reveal. It's just like, what the fuck is... Ha- why is this going on this yeah. way? Yeah, because you and I both know we grew up with a kid a lot like Brandon. Sure, yeah, yeah. Same family background, roughly the same IQ level. Mm-hmm. And I just kept thinking, like, if if Arthur was in that situation, absolutely the same thing would have happened. Yeah. To the extent that I can't... I can't believe that it's it's legal for parents to waive their ch- like if if you buy what the what the, the the prosecutor and the investigator story was which is that his mother allowed them to do five and a half hours of interrogation without her being present mm-hmm. over multiple days I I can't see how that's legal yeah let alone the fact that the kid was was has some kind of mental disability or mental um, inhibition. Um, I, I just, it, to me, it seems like if you're under 18, you, you can't take out a fucking credit card. You can't buy a pack of smokes. You can't buy a lottery. You can't sign a contract. How in the hell can you make a confession without an attorney or your parents there? Yeah. I, I mean, this kid, but that seems like he, he was failed on more than just that oh, level. This, this kid was failed on every single level that's possible. And then when he finally gets a defense attorney, I think that's maybe the angriest uh, I got. Oh, the yep. fact that this defense yep. attorney essentially was an agent for the state working on their behalf to coerce a confession from this kid. And then obviously, but that's the thing. The other thing is like all the material, the information that came out from this kid's mouth seemed like it made it harder for the prosecution to actually tell the story of how Steven may have killed this woman because the story this kid said was bullshit. There's no fucking way that Teresa, uh, what was her last name? Halbeck. Halbert was murdered in the way that Brendan said she was. There's no yeah, way. A hundred percent guaranteed couldn't have happened. I mean, the the lack of blood alone is. You you look at that garage where she was murdered in. Like well, what he's a fucking telling it like it was in the bedroom, right? Like okay, bedroom. Like they cut her throat. In where the is the blood spatter in that fucking messy ass? Exactly. And that's the thing. Like this isn't exactly. this isn't like a white tile with a drain in the middle. This is a this is a trailer bedroom. That's full of shit. This is a garage where they, where you know, the other alternative theory is where she got find the final killing blow, uh-huh. a, a jam p- fat, packed full of shit. There's no way you could sanitize those either of those scenes. Yet there's no blood. There's no hair. Mm-hmm. There's no, no DNA. Period. No, they're, they're except. Not... But, but you know, he didn't like bleach the floor because there is well, his DNA there. Yeah, but I don't. I don't know that I buy that. I mean, the okay. floor could still be bleached, and then after the fact, he. He has his DNA there because he's walking around the fucking thing for five days, right? Like, so what is? They, why don't you believe the, the garage is a murder scene then? Because there was no blood splatter anywhere. Uh, 
Like, if, if he shot her in the head in the garage, yeah. blood splatter city. And there's no way, like, I, I firmly believe, I am 100% convinced that, like, the guy, I, I forget who it is, but some guy says uh, that even his own investigators, his own forensics teams couldn't clean that garage well enough right, for the them not to find anything because it was just such a clusterfuck of stuff. Yeah. So I guess the crux of the matter is, like, you know, did the police plan evidence or not? How did that bullet get there with her DNA on it if the cops didn't plant evidence? I want to I step back and talk a little bit more about this Lynn, I, yeah, that's Lynn the thing. Like, I don't, I don't because... know how to approach this this podcast because it's such a sprawling – it's 10, ten full hours yeah. of – and some people – like I, I know Bill Simmons. He's the, probably the most reason I watched this. He was talking about it, and he said that he thought this could be like a six-hour show. I don't agree because the way – it's very deliberate-paced – but yeah. I, I don't feel like there was a lot of duplicate information, and they kind of told it in more or less real time. Well, you can get—I I feel like you can get rid of maybe the first episode almost in its entirety if you—if you, if you want to say let's just stick with this case and yeah. not say let's build a backstory in which Stephen Avery is a guilty man or is an innocent man sentenced to a crime he didn't commit and spent 18 years in prison. But that's like that's, that's building sympathy. Well, for also Stephen it's, Avery it's is prologue, what it's doing. you know, and you have to. You have to have the first two episodes yeah. where you talk about why the cops would have a motive for framing this guy. So you that, know? that's the thing. Like, that's one of the big reasons why I say this this documentary is supremely biased in Stephen Avery's direction. Sure. Is because they do spend all that time building up what an innocent man Stephen Avery is, uh, building up this case from, you know, 18 years earlier saying the cops are out to get him. Yeah. And, and, Maybe that's fair, maybe it's not, but it's certainly a bias, right? Yeah, it's, no, it's hard giving to argue. Us, like, it's the media saying, hey, here's what you should think about Stephen Avery going into this case. Uh-huh. Uh, and and so that's that's another thing we'll get to. But, like, Brendan Dassey is uh, – let's talk about him for a little bit because the moment Lynn Kaczynski, his lawyer, steps on the scene and is all smiles for these cameras, I'm like, this guy is a fucking uh, – He's a, sh- a shill. All he's there for is to promote himself. He doesn't give a shit about whether Brendan Dassey did it or not. But he doesn't give a shit about I this I actually case. had a brief hope because I thought when he was saying this is the case of my career, like, okay, well, <laughs> he'll take it seriously. And in fact, when his when his investigator, Michael O'Kelly, shows up to start working Brandon over, mm-hmm. my first thought was, oh, they're going to demonstrate how easy it is to have this kid, to bully this kid into saying anything. Sure, sure. And they're going to maybe, like, have three, like, I'm going to go in there three different times over three different days and get three different confessions and look at there. <laughs> but then it, it became quickly apparent that no, no, yeah. actually, what I couldn't conceive, which is that these guys are just selling up the river. And the fact that that Lynn didn't even bother to show up for the for that part of it either. And he never talked to him before he's out there saying Stephen Avery's the incarnate of evil. Yes. Uh, Brendan Dassey is his accomplice. Like, yeah. He's out there giving statements to the media without ever talking to Brendan Dassey, without yeah, ever reading his confession. That's super troubling. Uh, it's a joke. I mean, it's not just troubling. It's a fucking joke. And this guy should probably have some consequences for that. I mean, and it's also not fair. Like, when Brendan Dassey is sitting in the courtroom and says, I want to get rid of this lawyer. He's not helping me. And the judge is trying to get Brendan Dassey to articulate his point. Yes, this judge who obviously has an education, has been through law school, is telling this kid with a below 70 IQ. Exactly. Well, well why don't you feel comfortable with this guy? Do you get be, along with it? Yeah. It's so patronizing. 
it is. It's ridiculous to think that a kid with a 70 IQ is going to stand up there and give some eloquent defense of why he needs to dismiss his lawyer. He be- he doesn't understand what the words coming out of the judge's mouth mean, let alone build- be able to build a defense around The kid it. doesn't know what the word inconsistent means. Yeah. And neither yeah. did his mother. Yeah. I, you can't you can't expect a kid like that to be able to form an argument. No, I, and again, like it seems like a, a quick fix to the legal system would just be an outright law. You can't interrogate uh, people that are under eighteen without either a public defender, a present, or their parents. Yeah, like who says no to that? Why is I mean, I maybe I don't know, but why would that be a problem? Why can't we just make that happen? Call it Brandon's law. And I wonder how much of it is like a failing of the courts not allowing him to do the things he wants to do in the face of him obviously being uh, mentally handicapped or if we know that as an audience member, but yeah. they didn't. Like maybe there's there's some case to be made that, look, the kid is supposed to sit there and be quiet throughout the court case. His demeanor wasn't anything other than, you know, quiet, withdrawn. Like uh-huh. we we didn't. Like even when he was on the stand, I almost felt like he put up too good of a defense here. Like, oh, I did. I thought maybe it... they should have cross-examined him harder and got him to be confused and yeah. not understand what's going sure. on, as opposed to just like having a coherent like I lied, I made it up, I was scared, that sort of thing. But I thought that was horseshit that the the investigators up there and said, "Yeah, this this boy was trouble, and I knew it as soon as I talked to him. My experience in, in interrogating people, blah blah blah." And then defense, of course, shreds him on cross, but the damage is – and I, I think yeah. that's the other thing that, like, I've known enough lawyers and judges. One of my one of my best friend's dad is a federal uh, district judge. And it seems like it makes legal professionals angry if you question things like, you know, just saying strike from the record does not literally click, yeah. click delete the realities from of jury's it. brains. Yep. Like, there is stuff – and I thought that that's – the defense made that – there are some of these things that are out there that are so damaging that mm-hmm. how can the jury go forward? And every step of the way, it seems like the justice system's like, no, it's fine. We've got there's this rule. Uh-huh. I said strike from the record. The jury, can't I ordered use that. the jury not to consider this information. Yeah, it's bullshit. It's complete. It's bullshit. just it's the same bullshit as ordering them not to consider the media. Uh, profile of Stephen Avery. That's or the other thing. Dassey like I talked to someone from the in. UK, and apparently. Uh, you know, they've got weird slander laws and stuff, but apparently it's illegal to talk about cases that are actively being litigated. As it should be. As I, it should be. I don't I mean, understand. That, the brother of Teresa should not be up there giving statements on the innocence or guilt of Stephen Avery. Like it's some... Ever well, during I mean, this case. Like, that's one thing. But I'm talking about months before the case is being brought to a jury, the prosecutor introducing evidence that no judges looked at, no one has said whether this has uh-huh. got any kind of value to it, and just tells this grisly story yeah. with all these cameras and all these reporters and everybody taking notes. How in the fuck is that legal? It shouldn't be. And, and I mean, Ken Kratz, the that guy who seems like did another that, e- easy fix. The DA has has gone on record saying like he's sorry about that. Oh, like he, is he? <laughs> sure. I I mean that's a, that's a pale. Yes, drop in the fucking bucket of what he needs to do to rectify the situation. But and the fact that this, fucker, but at least he's acknowledging it. I mean, it, this I fucker, don't want to just shit on this guy totally. Okay, well I will. The the fact that this fucker had the nerve to say in, during the trial that all oh, the prosecutor, the prosecution has to swim up hit, uh, upstream against uh, this defense alert attorney stuff. Yeah, like 
That's a joke. And I thought the defense attorney came up with the brilliance, like, yeah, you're supposed to. It's called the presumption of innocence, which exactly. you shredded. Yep. You shredded. Which can't even be guaranteed at this point. No. In fact, I think that in the jury questionnaire, it was, what, like nine out of ten potential juries had some kind of unfavorable op- opinion of Stephen Avery. And then they mo- the remedy yeah. was to move it to the next county over, which is another joke. Sure. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Maybe in the I horse mean, but, and buggy but, days, that would have meant something. But, but where do you where do you move it? I mean, you move it to California, move it to Iowa, move it to Florida. Like, I, it's a national story. There's nowhere you can move it. But I, I think that, yes, it was national, but not like it was. Like, yes, if you moved it to the next state over, that would be a stronger remedy than the next county over. Now, I don't know what the practicalities of that because he's being tried in state court. So it's sure. like some of these yeah. things are structural problems. I don't know how you remedy that. Other than it seems, again, an easy fix for this is prosecution, defense alike are barred from talking about the cases yeah. in public before the guilty um, verdicts are uh, announced. Like you can cover the trial sure. fine, but then that way stuff is being found at the same time the jury is finding out about it and there's no chance of tampering. But I mean, then it's also troubling that the relatives of the victim are out there saying this shit, right? It's Cause, gross. Because they have the automatic sympathy of the audience. It's Their gross. relative was murdered. Whatever they say, the audience is going to start to believe that. So, like, where do you draw the line? Do you say no one related to the victim, no one related to the defendant? Uh, how distant of a relative are we talking? Like, there are some issues there, too, right? Sure. Like, maybe you should... I don't know how you cover a case like that without getting some biased opinions. (laughs) I do think it's super gross that they essentially treat these trials every day like it's a post-game interview. Like, you know, get the players out. Yeah, we gave 110% today, got full full, full faith in the the prosecution and the police. And, you know, and then the defense comes up like, oh, there's a bunch of fucking lying bastards. It's it, it is very WWE. And that's why I'm trying to take like cases. more of a neutral stance on this thing. Like I, so in my mind, I don't know that they like the defense certainly didn't prove Stephen Avery innocent. I don't know that there was enough evidence to, which of course isn't their job. But that's not their job. I think they might have squeaked by on uh, some sort of reasonable doubt. I'm not firmly in that camp. I don't know because there's a lot of stuff that comes to light outside of this documentary. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, uh, and if you believe. If you're willing to grant Ken Kratz any believability uh-huh. after the fact, like I think you have to take seriously this other stuff that is presented as evidence and that we never saw in the documentary. But I looked at some of that evidence, and a lot of the reason it wasn't it wasn't in documentary is because it wasn't advanced during trial because there were other problems with the evidence. So I don't know. I think Ken Kratz has zero credibility in my eyes. Um, it turns out he was corrupt, and he's not above. I mean. This guy got brought down by sexually harassing domestic abuse victims that were in his court system. It's disgusting. Like, that's the worst kind of predatory behavior I can think of. Yeah. By an official who we trust to be above those kind of things and to look out for the victims and to protect people. Yeah. So, like, and, and, and now I will say something. I think it's also gross, this kind of mob justice. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's people taking glee in the fact that, like, you know, and maybe these people deserve it, the Kratzes and the Lynn Kaczynskis, but they're getting their public profiles and and they're getting hate mail and they're getting, you know, these these vile messages being mailed to them. 
I, you know, if your response to making a murderer is anger at the, you know, abrogation of justice that Stephen Avery and his, <laughs> his, his nephew goes through, uh-huh. then how can you form a mob and that has no accountability and no justice and go ruining people's lives? Because, again, yeah. like, you know, maybe you're safe with, with – uh, and maybe uh, maybe this wouldn't happen if the actual state of Wisconsin – would would be more interested in, in giving this review process because mm-hmm. late in the documentary we see that there's really no accountability. Like this Lynn guy is, I think, serving as a judge now. Ken yeah, was brought down on a completely unrelated scandal. It's that so obvious to me he doesn't care about justice. That was being investigated and being kind of like buried under the carpet for about a year until a journalist broke, you know, the story. Which I think my top moment of Schadenfreude in my life <laughs> is hearing that interview that he was giving where he was essentially telling the journalists, don't you understand what an, even an accusation about this kind of stuff could mean <laughs> for a man like me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the while he is guilty, completely guilty of, of what he's being accused for. He's saying this. It's just like my head exploded. I couldn't believe that this guy was saying that thing. Yeah. Um, Maybe we need to go ahead and promote Lynn Kaczynski to the Supreme Court of the United States so that he won't have opportunity for advancement. And so maybe he can focus on his fucking job instead of getting promoted. That's the Peter principle? Like, it, 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 uh, promote him to, to, to above his level of competence so he can't do any harm? I don't know, well, man. Well, no, just eliminate the, the reason that he's not doing his fucking job. Ugh. Like, he obviously is just there to smile for the cameras and become get into the spotlight like that's how about this how about we disbar him from practicing law in america there's that too yeah you could go that he can go and sell cars or (laughs) insurance plans or or uh yeah snake oil whatever he wants to sell because this justice he's peddling is bullshit um so we want to talk about some of this specific uh evidence in these cases and some of the evidence that wasn't talked about because like as i'm watching this like i have a feeling that a lot of this, the court case was left out in favor of the dramatization of discovering these particular facts or telling the story in the way they wanted to tell it. Whereas the stuff we don't see presented in the court, I think, is getting a lot of people riled up. Like, oh, why didn't they go harder on this point or this point? I think they did. I think we just didn't see it because we already knew that as an audience. Well, yeah, and I think that honestly i don't think that anything that wasn't the 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 biggest bias i think that this documentary has is actually the way they presented steven's past and his past crimes like yeah 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 they're they 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 the thing where he you know burnt to death the family cat is presented as like oh i was drunk around the fire and i tossed the cat over the fire and one thing led to another and it's a yeah he went i up. mean the the court documents show that him and his friend doused the cat with gasoline or kerosene lit the cat on fire deliberately and watched it die. Entirely different story. Uh, there's another thing where they just kind of brush off the fact that he ran his cousin over the road and put a gun to her head because she was starting shit with him and he just wanted to scare her a little bit. Yeah. And if you read the court documents, he did, yes, he did run his cousin off the road. She had an infant daughter, I think, in the ba- in, in a car seat in the back and she essentially pleaded with Stephen, like, you know, think of the daughter, you know, and, and he got a hold of himself. That's scary behavior. Now, you said that the gun wasn't loaded at the time. That's what they say in the series. Now, I don't and know also, if that's true or not. I don't know if that's true or not. But either either way, that's pretty scary behavior. Also, yeah. the girlfriend, yeah. Jody, uh-huh. um, there is multiple domestic abuse complaints uh, back and forth with them. Um, 
he also was involved in a lot of burglaries and stuff like that. It's not like this is – I'm not saying that Stephen Avery is a good guy. Sure. Another thing I've, I, I've thought a lot about is the fact that when they released him after his uh, wrongful incarceration for 18 years – you know, he was treated as an innocent man who was exonerated, and all of the, you know, the meager support facilities that felons have when they're released out of prison. You know, checking in with a parole officer, having, you know, job placement services, psychological evaluation and support. None of that was available to Stephen. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, we had you locked up. Here you go. And there's a <laughs> yeah. lot of accounts of him kind of flying into rages and, like, withdrawing from society, living in this, like, ice shack that they use for ice fishing that for months on end because... Seems, that seems understandable No, to me. it's all sure. understandable, but it yeah. seems like a man who was having some difficulties readjusting to society and dealing with this feelings of anger and abandonment like you would... It's interesting, ...with no yeah. resources or ability to get help for it. It's interesting that you say say that because, like, when I didn't know anything about this documentary series... And I, I heard the title, Making a Murderer, and, and then I found out, oh, this man was in prison for 18 years, and then he was con- convicted of murder. Uh, I assumed they were go- this documentary was going to be about how a man who wasn't like this before going to prison turned into a violent sure. criminal. Sure, yeah, how, how the system how made the system him a murderer. How the system made him a murderer, and I, it, that's not what this is about, but yeah. that's an interesting fact like to consider is the idea that maybe – he wasn't a violent man. Maybe he was the Stephen Avery that everyone knew, and th- either through anger or or just the things that happened to him in prison, he became what he became. Now, there's also another disturbing that uh, line of argument that came from several of his co-inmates when he was in for 18 years, where Stephen used to fantasize and publicly say that when I get out of here, I want to yeah. build a torture chamber and murder and rape a woman, and drew pictures of, but. Then I I saw a lot of uh, attorneys on these threads come in and say, one of the things we tell a client before they go away for prison is not to talk about your case details to inmates because a lot of things inmates like to do is trade, quote unquote, information for, you know, leniency. You know, they they like turn testimony against their fellow convicts so they can get out early or they can get parole or whatever. So you have to take with a huge grain of salt anything they say because it does seem again i don't believe the however teresa got murdered i don't believe it went down anywhere like the state says it did yeah so like that only um, is compelling and again those guys started making those comments after the case became made public and all these details about the stuff you know it's like i almost feel like they would have had a much stronger case if they had said look she wasn't murdered on the property yeah, but she was brought back here to be disposed of, like because yeah. there's I think there's more evidence for that. Like if if you say okay, this bullet was in the garage, where the fuck's the blood splatter? Sure, uh, I could see a scenario where like she's beaten, thrown in the back of her car where her blood was found, uh-huh. uh, and and taken to the quarry, the quarry or or Stephen's trailer if you want to say like th- this sexual th- this rape happened and yeah. like all this horrible torture. Uh, and then disposed of there on the property. But like the idea that she was, that she had her throat cut in in the bedroom, or that she was shot in the garage, is just yeah. insane. Yeah. Like I could see bringing her back and like trying to dismember her in the garage and doing it sanit- sure. in a ser- sanitary way, and maybe like the bullet after he removes it. Because what they don't tell you in the documentary is that bullet, the ballistics were matched to a twenty two that 
was over his bed. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Th- that's well, what Ken no, Kratz says later in, later wh- on when he's asked. About what it. I heard is that the for whatever, and I don't I don't know enough about ballistics, but I heard that like you can't for that particular type of firearm and that particular type of bullet, you can't really match ballistics that on a twenty two. But okay. it's consistent from the kind of gun fired. But no one, you know, no one argues that those guys are firing guns all over that property. And sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I like having Teresa's DNA on it. I think is slightly damning. On the other hand, um, it was suspicious the way that the test that they chose and the the, the the way. And I think that there's big problems with the person they had testing the DNA evidence. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that right now, okay? Because I feel like we've talked about a lot of the stuff. Let's get into nitty gritty. This woman they had testing the DNA. Um, she. I guess bathe the full bullet in whatever thing dissolves it and gets the DNA. Uh, in other words, that's a one shot you got at this test. Um, and also, like, you could shave a part of the bullet and do the same thing to a piece of it, but she chose to do the whole thing so the test is unable to be repeated. That seems like it's bullshit. Uh, mm-hmm. Number two, the test that she used to prove that this DNA was on there... Um, the control for it, she contaminated. Yeah. And that the guidelines say that you have to, if this control gets contaminated, um, you have to have the re- re- report come back as no result or inconclusive. She decided to, the only time in her her whole career, she decided to go ahead and say that that was a confirmed result. Now, I'm somewhat sympathetic to the argument that just because her DNA, she knows how it was contaminated, right? She says so. She thinks she knows how it's contaminated. Sure. She was She's... talking. She was busy. She wasn't paying attention. This is a train. All these things are red fucking alarms. Like, if I'm the person on trial, this is shit that I can't even believe I'm hearing. Oh, my exam. You used up all the bullets, so you can't do it again. But my question would be, was Teresa's DNA on that or not? And And the fact is, yes, it was. And and so the fact it, is the test showed that it was. Uh-huh. Now if you want to say okay it got con- contaminated from another sample that they were testing maybe but that evidence is never presented in the documentary. It's only presented as well your DNA got in so it should have been inconclusive. Now we know for a fact that Teresa's DNA was but, on but that. But that's bullet. what the defense saying. You, However, you've got, got this bench and you're testing all this material from all these cases. How do you know that Are Therese- you? Are you because that's not the scenario they present. The scenario they present is you were showing these these interns or students or whatever how to do this, and you contaminate it with your DNA, not right. not that everything else like Teresa's but do you uh, understand? bones and Teresa's skirts and Teresa's bullshit were all out on the table, and you just drop the fucking bullet into her clothes. Like they never say that. They're, no, 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 no. But I'm saying, saying is, you breathed on it. What I'm saying is that the whole point of having controlled and processes is so that you can say stuff like that shouldn't happen. And the fact that she did the methodology the way she did and did her process the way she did throws into doubt that, like, how do you know that she didn't fuck up something like that? I don't. And that's the problem. That's the, the documentary, reasonable doubt. The, well, that's the documentary's reasonable doubt. And I, like, I, I have to imagine that there was more to that. They weren't just like, well, anything could have happened because you breathed on it. Like, there's got to be more. There's got to be, like, what was sent to the lab to test? When were those things tested? Was, like, were there multiple things of Teresa's out with the bullet? Like, Well, I get it, but you're trying to speculate. I feel like you're trying to introduce things that 
or not. I mean, I'm just trying to not say this is a slam. Like, no, a, I'm a not saying it's a slam dunk, but I'm saying case. that like, like it, it, because the other thing is like, if this bullet went through this woman's head, yeah, there's no visible blood. Well, like this, that's this the thing. Like, I'm calling into ba- question where the fuck that happened because I don't think it happened in that garage. That, that's what There's I'm saying. No like, I, I just – and again, you know, the fact that the person put the instructions, I need you to place this bullet yeah. within the garage or I, I need the, this because so sure, far I got nothing. there's a lot that's fishy around that. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, and then you've got the FBI guy who's doing this EDTA test. Yeah. So, so if you don't know – Early on, one of the bombshells is they go in to look at a sample of Stephen Avery's blood because they're thinking like, okay, the motive, why would the county do this? Because Stephen Avery is now suing the county for $36 million, and these cops are taking it personally. Like, I thought it was really damning when their sheriff that was uh, leading this investigation said, I don't believe Stephen Avery is innocent of that rape. I don't believe, I don't necessarily believe in DNA evidence or any of that stuff like Wow, that was amazing. Yeah. And no, all these guys, guys just fool. had these massive attitudes about it. Like, fuck this guy. We didn't get anything wrong. Um, so they got $36 million and a chip on their shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, could they plant evidence? I don't know. But when they went to get his liquid blood out of the evidence file, <laughs> yeah. and that, that fucking thing, who's got it's got seals on it, so you can tell when Two things are... Two different seals. Tampered. One on the outside, one on the inside. And those are broken. Yep. And sealed over with scotch tape. <laughs> That is, and there's a, a a pinhole in the top of the vial, right? That the the examiners say we would never do that, right? We would never put a hypodermic needle through the top of that, right? Um, so so here is the thing about that: the FBI. So I guess there's a test where you know the chemical they put in to stabilize the blood is e- obviously not in your bloodstream. EDTA. Yeah. So you can detect this. Now, this test hasn't been performed for 10 years. Apparently, the FBI abandoned it because it wasn't conclusive yeah. and it was getting trashed in the court system. The state asked them, the county asked them, hey, can you gin this test up? And the FBI said it'll take three to six months. They did it in like 10 days. Mm-hmm. And they come back and this guy testifies that he tested three of the six spots of blood in this person's in, in Teresa's car which also I thought that the blood in the car was kind of like if he got a cut from his finger like some of the places where the blood got to was really kind of suspicious but he says I yeah, tested maybe. three of the six all six show that this was actually Stephen's blood and the defense even said like how can you tell you didn't test the other yeah. I'm, I'm certain within a reasonable degree of that's foolish that is, yeah. like, to me, I can't believe a word this guy says. The other thing is they try to narrow yeah. him down of, like, what is the minimum threshold for detection, which is important. Because let, let's say we're – let's invent arbitrary numbers. Let's say at 100 parts of EDTA to a million, that's considered present. And let's say that these tests um, came back at 99 parts to a million. Mm-hmm. That's kind of important, right? But there's no, there was the, the FBI did not reveal what their threshold for detection was. Sure. So, like, was the threshold for detection within the margin of error for this particular result? No one could say. All we've got is a dude with an impressive mustache putting the full faith and credit of the FBI behind this test that seems like it was bullshit. Yeah, and they even bring in another another chemist or whatever to refute the claims that he made, and she's a hundred percent correct. Like. I didn't test the other three samples, so I can't say for sure it wasn't in all of them. Right. And I can't say for sure it wasn't actually in the ones we did test. Because right. all it will tell us is that we didn't detect it. Right. Not that it wasn't there for right. a fact. So 
I, I agree. Like, so, like, I, to me, if I'm a jury and I'm seeing that this evidence was had clear, I mean, you know, it was tampered with. You know, you it do. was tampered with. Certainly, and, this and FBI... not in an official capacity because the tape wasn't the same. Yes, uh, and and the official people said that they would never access it that way. Right, and like if it was like if you had reason to reopen that and and examine it, and again, it's not just out because yeah. they're like, oh, I got knocked around in a box. This was like imagine you buy something from Amazon, okay, mm-hmm. and they you you get like let's say you get a tablet from Lenovo or whatever. And that thing's going to come sealed up and it's all taped up on the inside of the box. And the outside is a brown Amazon box and it's all sealed. So like, okay, it got kicked around the UPS truck. The outer tape got (laughs) fucked up. Then you go and you see the tablet itself. It's tamper resistant seals are broken inside. And you call Amazon. You're like, why the fuck did you sell me a refurbished tablet? You son of a bitch. And and there's a crack on the screen. Yeah. And you're like, I want a refund. Well, we can't say for sure it was tampered with. What do you mean? You don't know who, you don't know when, you don't. Yeah. But that's the whole yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. point. Uh-huh. Like to me, like that's another thing that screams reasonable doubt. Yeah, no, I, I agree. There's some of that stuff there. There's also what about the car key? So the car key is surprising that no one but uh, Teresa's DNA was found on that, no, or no one but Steven's DNA was found on that. This Sorry. is a key she handled every day, every day for years. I'm sure no DNA except for Steven's DNA. Yeah. So that tells me it was cleaned. Who was it cleaned by? Was it cleaned by Steven? Was it cleaned by the people who may or may not have planted it there? The fact uh, that this was this this his his trailer was searched on several occasions. This key was so the the the. The, it seems like the prosecutor's like, you're right, this is a big problem that it was found. And the solution is, oh, well, it might have fallen behind this bookcase and got wedged between the wall, yeah. which is fine, but it was found underneath a pair of Stephen's slippers. Mm-hmm. So, like, did you pick up the slippers, jostle the bookcase, it, it fell and then bounced around the corner, and then you put the slippers back on? And it's also – that's the other thing. Yeah. The – District attorney banned this county that was currently being investigated for wrongdoing in the previous case against Stephen from participating materially. And they said on the news that, oh, the the only thing these people are doing is fetching equipment for us when we need it. When they know full fucking well these guys are on the property doing these searches. Because they're signing logs. (laughs) <laughs> or not signing logs. Well, yeah, sure. So let's talk about this Link guy, because this guy is fucking incredible. Well, let's not leave these slippers yet. I want to I throw okay. some reasonable doubt on, All right, sure. on the fire here. Bring some fair and balanced investigation to this, Jim. They never show us a picture of that blank floor, do they? They show yeah. us a picture of the slippers sitting there. And then they and show, then they show us, us a picture, picture of the, f- the slippers removed with the key yes. sitting there. So why is it not a possibility that Stephen Avery put that key there and they missed it in the first search because there were slippers on top of it? I thought... I don't know. I you're I because I, I thought that the testimony was that it was in it was in play. I don't know. That you're, you're right. I don't I don't get that. Okay. I I just don't want to like totally jump to conclusions here. I think it's more suspicious that the key is is blanked of all DNA and then except for Steve. Like how smart do you think Stephen Avery is? That's the thing. Like he's dumb enough to put the fucking car on his property. If you uh-huh. believe the story of the district attorney and. Yep. The prosecution. Yep. He's dumb enough to leave the fucking car there. He's dumb enough to leave the key in his bedroom. Yeah. But he's smart enough to clear the garage of any trace and of burn DNA. her cell phone and her wallet, but keep the key as a burn fucking trophy. All that shit. Like, why is he so selectively dumb? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, that's like, that's the question. I think most attorneys would say criminals really are kind of like that. But this is seems to be on the extreme. And also the fact that if he was that sloppy and dumb, that there would be evidence everywhere. That's what I would think. Yeah. Um, I like think he couldn't clean that garage. One way to look at it is that, that if you throw out the Brandon uh, evidence, then there's nothing saying that Stephen didn't murder this person. And the, 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 the way he becomes dumb is a lot narrower in scope. And a lot more reasonable. Yeah, yeah. But they so. chose to, to you know, to have this theory of prosecution. So, yeah, their their timeline and their series of events seem strange. But to the me. other thing about this Link guy who found the key. Oh, this guy, and also found yeah. the bullet. Yes. Yes, I think so. Uh, months after it, yeah, was, in March. it was, it was found. Um, he's he's ordered not to be like they're ordered to like and and then the Cal- calumet or whatever how you pronounce that county calumet, they're like okay say. well the district attorney said this we're just going to make sure we watch these guys like a hawk uh they come on the scene and they're like form a perimeter around his vehicle so no one can fuck with it link signs out of that law he doesn't sign in he yeah. has a sworn testimony months before that puts him at the crime scene before that perimeter would gone up which means he absolutely couldn't have gotten in there without evading the screen or bullshitting his way through yeah. when he actually gives testimony in the case suddenly his time changes to where he arrives after uh or he arrives before the the perimeter was established and and the, so dean strang or however the, i fucked that up imagine it was in the correct correct order to make my <laughs> assertion valid that, so, that, yeah the, the strang i I've, i don't know if it's i think his first name's dean and and his partner, which I can't remember his fucking name, yeah. and I feel like that's an egregious sin on my part, uh-huh. because these guys are the heroes of the story, in my opinion. These guys are the only people who have performed their duty above and beyond and have given everybody a fair shake. Uh, Strang points out that – wait, where was I going with this? Strang, I don't know. <laughs> fuck, man. Jerry, were, Jerry Buting, right? That's the other – Buting, yeah. yeah. Uh, Strang and Buting are the fucking heroes of the they story. They are. They really are. Uh where was I going? There's something about the log and yeah, Link and Link being there. I don't fucking remember. I mean, he's, now. he basically clowned the guy. He's like, so you're saying? Oh, oh no. So he points out d- during that time of the year in this part of the country, that is the difference between broad fucking daylight sure. and the pitch black of night. Sure. I mean, two p.m. signing in at two p.m. arriving on the scene at two p.m. versus seven p.m. Yes, I know this. Living in the Midwest and yes. going through winters. It gets pitch black at like five thirty six, right? In, yeah. in in this portion of the country. So, like, how do you misremember showing up in the middle of the afternoon or the evening? Yeah, in the winter. I don't think you misremembered. I think you lied. I think so. Uh, you deliberately. And so, why did you lie? Potentially, because you were devastating the car there, or planting blood in the car. Like, yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I, I liked how the attorney said because I think some people on the internet have gone crazy and they're like. The police murdered Teresa Hallbrook <laughs> and planted her body. Plant. I'd like, I. You're insane. If if you believe that, I. So so let's like let's go down that path. Yeah. They somehow knew that Teresa was going to visit Stephen. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They intercepted her on her way home, murdered her, and planted all this evidence on like like how fast and how quick and how efficiently were they able to do that. Now, I f- like if you want to say they took advantage of a murder and then yeah, there's a huge difference between those two accusations. <laughs> or if you want to say that, because because I, I think what the most likely thing is someone else on the Avery someone on the Avery property murdered her, 
and did all these okay. things. And then the hmm. cops had ac- access to evidence that they then used to assemble and, yes, plant to frame Stephen Avery because that was the easy answer. They they knew that was the answer, so they cheated a little bit to get there, just in the same way that they kind of cheated the way to get him to convict, to, uh, convict yeah. the previous rapist victim. Like closer to incompetence than malice. I think uh, there's a little bit of malice there. Yeah, yeah, but closer to, like, I, I think it's more like, we've got our man, we know it. Yeah. Let's, Let's make, make sure, sure the justice is served, because look what happened. If if their official, yeah. the highest cop in that department, is saying that Stephen Avery got off on this rape because he doesn't believe in DNA evidence, I could see yeah. them saying as a department, we're going to make sure we put him away this time. But malice, to me, is more like, you know what, we don't really know who did this, but let's pin it on Stephen Avery. Whereas, like... We, we're pretty sure we know who did this, yeah. and we're going to have some evidence uh, manufactured. Yeah. I think that's more like sure. – no, incompetence is the wrong word, and there's there's certainly a level of malice there, but it's different, right? It's kind of like you know the way you root for uh, Vigilante to beat the shit out of a bad guy with no trial or no certainty. <laughs> it's like – it's uh-huh. that kind of – it's vigilanteism is what it is. Yeah. It's like – Fuck due process. Fuck the pr- we we know we know who's guilty. So let's just form a hanging party and make it happen. And that works in comic books. Yes, that doesn't work so well in real life. Um, what was the so? What were some here's, of the other? Here's something I wish they would have done in the documentary, and maybe they didn't do it just because they told us about it. Uh, maybe they did this during the course of the case. But Jody, I think it is Stephen's girlfriend at the uh-huh. time of his trial, uh, his second trial, testifies doesn't doesn't we don't ever see her testify what we see is her telling the documentary crew that there were two phone calls she had with Stephen avery while teresa was being murdered that they had recorded somehow. that they have recorded because she was in prison oh, at that's the time right, that's right on a dui charge yeah, yeah. so they have recordings of these and they never play them as far as we see to the jury uh that's never brought up in the court case and as far as i know jody's never put on the stand yeah. To testify anything. Now, when they play those recordings, I was like, man, there's no way that a guy with an IQ like this in the heat of the moment would be able to detach himself so well no. as to have a normal fucking conversation completely for normal. 15 minutes. It wasn't like he was distracted. It wasn't like no, he was breathing heavy. Not at all. It was just a completely chill conversation. And if you're saying that he has a woman strapped to a bed who's screaming her fucking guts yeah. out to the point where Brendan Dassey hears it outside the, the or trailer the, and or comes up to the door. Or he's where burning are those, a corpse. Or he was burning a corpse. Where are those screams on the tape? Where is the sense of of problem in his voice of trouble and if you believe the more likely scenario which is she was murdered at the quarry and burnt how the hell is he home to take these phone calls sure yeah so to me the timing again, would have had been i think someone on the avery compound did and we can talk a little bit i know you're not so interested in other suspects but i know a lot of people are and i'm kind of interested so we'll get to there eventually yeah what are some of the other hinky details why would he why well, would he put her in a car and move her to burn her 20 feet from his house if that's where that, she that's was. ridiculous. Like I, yeah. I, I feel like her the blood wouldn't be found in the car. The prosecutor's theory of the crime is completely ridiculous. There's I no agree. way. Yeah, um, it makes perfect sense if she was murdered at the property and then taken to the stone quarry. Sure. Yeah, and that's why beaten. I, I put forward that idea yeah. early on in this podcast because uh, yeah, yeah th- that makes a lot more sense if she was taken back. Uh, the other thing that I, I want to talk, talk about, about the 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 sheriff's deputy. That calls in yep. two or three days before the vehicle is found on the property. Oh, oh, this is a different call. Okay. Okay. 
he calls in and says, oh. hey, I need to run a license plate number on this particular license plate. It's Teresa's license it's plate. It's Teresa's license plate. And the person says, uh, yeah, that is a car registered to Teresa Hallbook. And the guy says, 99 Blue RAV4. Yeah, yeah. Toyota, whatever. And Toyota. Uh-huh. And she's like, yep. And he's like, okay. That, I agree with the defense. That sounds like a phone call made looking at the fucking car. He How says, else could you do that? He says that he had some notes from, and this also makes sense, to be fair. He says he had some notes that he got from the department meeting or his partner about this missing vehicle and that he was calling the dispatch to verify. Which, but I, I me as a, as just someone listening to that phone call, I, I suppose feel, that's possible. I, I feel like that it seems like a guy who found it, which that also, so, so again, like all this stuff about the, the about the police planting shit. Why make the call? circumstantial. Except, why is- why is he making the call to run the plates if they already know that the plates belong to a 99 Toyota? Yeah, that's the th- – yeah. Right? Yeah, because like Unless I you found see, it, unless you're staring at it now. If he said that's Teresa Hallberg's and she says, yes, it's a 99 blue Toyota, that's information he would need to know to know the exact make and model to be looking out for. But the fact sure. that he supplied that information and read it off as if he was reading a plate – it just seems but it's also fishy like as hell. If if I've got so if they run the plates, like they they say, okay, Teresa Hallbuck is, Hallbuck, blah is missing. Yeah, uh, we need to figure out what car she was driving in order to look out for that car to see where she is. Yeah, uh, they would probably know that you know that car was a '99 Toyota and there was a blue Rav4, right? Because yeah. they they run her name, they get her registration. It's registered with this car. They would so, know, but what has changed to the point where you're going to call and verify these plates and say, is it this color car? Is it Agreed. Now, one thing I, th- I think is a potential point here is that the cops were suspicious of Stephen, so they were investigating that area. Like, there's lots of – there's reports from Stephen's family and Stephen himself that there was headlights and taillights on that access road that you can get to the general area of the car. Yeah. Let's say this detect. Let's say this uh, deputy drives by and sees the car on the property, finds it there, and then like, okay, we don't have enough. I, 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 there, there's this theory that's like the cops knew they didn't have enough for a search warrant or they didn't have the time. But if they figured that if they if they had the family, if they fed the family information and told them to go and canvas that area and say, hey, we're the family. We're looking for Teresa. Would you help us out? They let them on the property. The woman makes a fucking beeline. More like, or less. Th- yeah. Like she says, God led her to there. And maybe it's 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 all random chance, whatever. It, sure, but she makes yeah. a beeline to the offshoot of the property to where the pro- and, and finds it within 10 minutes of setting foot on the property. It seems like maybe it wasn't a nefarious, like the cops literally planned. They found the car 10 miles away, drove it there in the dead of night, and, and hastily did a frame job. Maybe the cops knew the, pro- the thing was on the, the property, but they didn't have enough to get a full-blown search warrant, which that doesn't seem right. But they used the family as a third-party investigator, which is also – which would mean that stuff is inadmissible. But what are you, what are you implying with her finding the car immediately? I'm, I'm implying that the cops gave her that location and said, go in there as the guise of just a civilian mm. looking for your sister okay. and go right there. You call us and then we'll – bam, we'll be there with our tape and we'll shut it down. It's a shortcut. It's a, Essentially, it's the same shortcut to justice. I mean that's the case that the documentary makes. The documentary makes it in that 
she finds it immediately, and also that she was the only one given a camera in that search party. Which is suspicious. I mean, none of this stuff is smoking guns, but you put it all together, it seems like there's a lot of shortcuts to justice, which might have ill-suited the the real pursuit of justice. Yeah, and I think... So I think a lot of that stuff is right on, and I'm I'm questioning how it could be possible that the state's case is uh, accurate. Um, But I also... I, I like to look at the other side of it because the documentary doesn't the documentary most decidedly does not give a shit about presenting the DA's case in a particularly good light. Sure. Uh, so I feel like if we were to just go along with everything the documentary says, we would be doing some sort of injustice as well. Okay. Uh, which is why I want to say like, it's just as likely that she finds it in 10 minutes as like that. She goes up and 10 minutes in, she doesn't find the car, right? Like it could be, it's totally random at that point. And I also think it's kind of like before we go down this, I want to say that there's a lot of statements about the Hall book or Bach family that I don't find are particularly great either. Like people saying their brother's weird and how creepy it is that he's like cheerleading the police. And let's say that like even sure. if this woman who I think is her aunt played along with the police, would you do something different if you were in that position? What do you mean? Like, if you were the brother that was assigned... Because what happens in these cases is the media hounds all the family for comments. Or you can say, this is the family member that's stepping forward. He's going to answer all your questions, and he's going to be the media contact. So that way, the mother and the father and the sisters and everybody else can be left in peace. Yeah. Because if you don't, you get what's happened to Brendan's mother, which is they... Fucking media, man. <laughs> like... I don't understand why they're so why they're piranha like that. If someone uh, doesn't I want, you, I think you understand it. Oh, I don't. I don't understand. It's why. because they want to get the story before everybody. What else story? Does. You want to know Whatever exactly how this woman's feeling when her son gets locked away for life? Fuck sure. you. Sure, because Fuck they you. want it, they want something to run that night. They want something to some further detail in the story so they can keep it going and keep people interested. That's gross. Like, That's I not agree. news. That's I agree. not journalism. A hundred percent agree. It's disgusting. And like I don't think it should be illegal for the, the district attorney and the defense lawyers and the family of the victim to talk to the media. I think it should be illegal for the media to go after those people. Yes. I don't think they should be allowed to have interviews or any kind of statements from these people yes. that would keep because it's not the responsibility of the victim of a crime to know oh i'm not allowed to talk to these people well the other it's thing the is responsibility like, of the professionals to know i'm not allowed to do this i don't know that you got to make a rule against that because you know the same stuff that is like whistleblowing where you uncover like none of those people want to talk and 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 hounding them like if for statements and stuff although that's not really part of the story either like it shouldn't matter. Like, let's say that you've got a CEO that's that 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 you've inv- uncovered wrongdoing through your investigation, through your facts and evidence. Yeah. What he says when you confront him, whether he bursts out into tears, whether he punches you in the face, whether he calls you a motherfucker, that is not part of the story, really. So why the yeah, fuck is that not such part a big, of the court? Why is case. it such? Why is the perp walk? Why is the following after? Well, did you have anything to say? Is there anything you like to say to the public? Is there anything you like to say to the public? Why yeah. won't you make a comment? Why? Why is that part of the story? It's I'm like something you. we all yeah. expect. Because it's human drama. Because because <sighs> it sells. It's a story that people can understand. Right? Like this stuff with EDTA and the the, the blood and like all this this minutia of the court case i cheered when her i think people. brother or brother-in-law was like 
get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck is wrong with you, motherfucker? Her like, son I'd... was just sent to prison for life. Yeah. Give her a fucking break. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah, he just, like, shamed the entire news crews from multiple news agencies into yeah. slowly turning off their cameras, and it was uh, it was pretty incredible. Yeah, no, uh, that's that's great. I, I don't I'm, know. I don't know what you do to reform journalism because I feel like that I don't want to put journalists in handcuffs for stuff like that. But maybe there should be some professional ethics that that like you. I, I don't know. Like they need to do a better job of policing themselves, maybe. Because I don't like the government well, stepping in and regulating what journalists can and cannot talk about, unless there's clear well, I bright think in lines, legal matters like, that's, that's certainly yeah, appropriate. You're right. You're right. Yeah. you're right. But I wouldn't want them. Uh, to not go after. I mean, but I don't know. Maybe I do. I don't know. I don't think you run that story until after the thing is decided, right? Like yeah. you. Don't and if get a person a doesn't want to make a comment about how they feel in an emotional matter, then yeah, don't hound them. Don't hound them. Like, but people, then you're not going to get your people story, in this. Ex- right? That's the thing. It's like they people, do it because it works. Like if that woman had gone out to her car and gotten a gun and shot all those journalists, I'm not saying I condone that behavior, but I would completely <laughs> understand because when people are in heightened emotional states, they do crazy shit that they sure. wouldn't otherwise do. Yeah. So why are you poking the bear with a stick? I don't yeah. I don't understand the journalistic duty that that's serving. It sells, serving. man. It sells. But that's that's then that's an indictment of journalism. It's it's certainly an indictment of that kind of journalism. Yes, and if I you agree. Won- and if you wonder why your newspapers are fish rags now that you can't sell advertising for, and no one's reading, and that subscribe, and and you, but people you do read it. Why. That's the problem. Like no. ratings go up when they do this shit. Like the, it's short. It it's, works it's, as it's as short. much as I as much as I say I understand why a parent would want to lash out at the media when her kid is sent to jail and they're in her face and hounding her i also understand why these journalists quote-unquote journalists why these news reporters go in and do this shit because it works like if it didn't work they wouldn't do it it's 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 a short-term fix because in long long long-term real investigative journalism is very hard to do absolutely this is fucking easy this is shooting fish in a barrel and that's why i'm saying long term that's why interest in that stuff spirals down and wanes yeah, I just don't think it's fair to say, oh, they shouldn't do it. They should I do. they should be decent human beings. Well, that's not their job. They're <sighs> they're out there preying on people because that's what sells magazines. That's what sells their newscasts. You mentioned a phone call you wanted to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This phone call that Coburn or whatever his name is, uh the other guy who's kind of implicated alongside yeah. Link. Uh the phone call he gets in ninety five that says, hey, we oh, got a guy yes. here, George Allen, yes. who is is saying, hey, they got a dude up in Wisconsin doing time for a crime that he didn't commit that I did. Right. And Coburn doesn't report this until, you know, he waits, he waits, 95, 96, 97, 2003, 9, 12, the day uh-huh. after Stephen Avery gets out of prison and is exonerated, he files a report on this phone call. Now, if that isn't a cover-your-ass move, I don't know what is. Sure. And I think on Cross, he was devastated because, it, you know, the Absolutely. prosecutor's like, do you make a report on every fucking phone call you receive at the jail? It's like, oh, I wouldn't get anything else done. And the defense is like, how many innocent men did you have uh, in, in, in prison in the, your entire career? I was like, well, I don't recall. Was Is it is it just the one? Can you recall any others? I, I don't. <laughs> So maybe this was an extraordinary thing you might have taken a report on. Like that to me, that's 
the more these guys try yeah. to make a joke out of what the defense is saying, the more these defense guys are just cutting them to ribbons. And it's because these guys are on the ball, and they're and the I the more and more I feel like this department is not. Yeah, and that's the problem with them giving these public statements and stuff is that you know I feel like they were shocked that Stephen Avery was able to mount this defense, and that's the thing is that Stephen Avery dropped his thirty six million dollar lawsuit Ugh. against them and took. Three hundred and some thousand dollars, just so yeah. he could afford a lawyer to not get <laughs> to to be put in prison for the rest of his life. And that's super suspicious when you say, "Okay, well, this uh, Kurosawa or whatever this guy's name is, uh, Tomawak or something, the guy who was a sheriff at the time that yeah. Stephen Avery was arrested, was Gene, yeah, in the first in the first place. Uh-huh. Uh, he's going up for deposition shortly after." Uh, Stephen Avery drops the case. Yep. And Stephen Avery only drops the case because he's got to pay for the lawyers in his new case. Uh, yeah, that's ridiculous. I mean, that's the that's one of the biggest miscarriages of injustice is that Stephen Avery had to take a, a settlement yep. uh, on his 18 years in prison where he was proven to be innocent. Yeah. And that's the thing. The other The other strange thing about this case is they're all... There's this big assumption that Stephen Avery is some kind of monster. And maybe that's that case is made in the court, but we never see it in the documentary, certainly. Uh, there's just this assumption that Stephen Avery is a rapist and Stephen Avery is a, a harasser and Stephen Avery could be a murderer. That stuff never comes out in the documentary. What do you think of the judge's statement on sentencing that your clear pattern of increasing, escalating behavior, it's, it felt to me like he was using... Yes. Stuff that he was exonerated for against him. The, the, it makes me think that we didn't just – we just didn't see it. Like there was a yeah. lot of evidence presented that you talked about yeah. with him potentially harassing Teresa and yep. uh, being violent toward his wife and like all these things I, or his girlfriend. Yeah, there's a, there's a mention that uh, like I guess that – because Teresa had been on this property multiple times because this, this family runs a junkyard and they sell you know shitty yeah. cars through Auto Trader like they, people sense. do. And, like, I guess the sh- he answered the door just wearing a bath towel once and made her feel uncomfortable. And, like, one of her coworkers testified to that, but they okay. didn't use it in court. Um, huh. And then the other thing that's suspicious about this is that Stephen th- calls her out there, but he does a he does seem to be taking some measures to cloak who is ma- bringing her out there because he- it's not him. It's his sister. You know, he, he calls us in and says it's his sister wanting to... And it's his, his sister making contact and all this other stuff. So it's like that is weird to me that if he's the one that's – Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that was the other thing that kind of came out that like if there is – I don't understand the motive for killing and raping her unless he just had this this crazy fantasy. Yeah, they never established in the documentary a motive of um, any kind. And like I said, that stuff comes from convicted felons. But why would you put your sister's name? I guess if it's your sister's car. Like that, that's the stuff – that could be innocent too. Like, well, it's a sister's sure. car. I'm doing her a favor. I'm the one that, you know, but it's it's truly my sister. She's going to be the one that has the title and the ve- she's got the vehicle title in her name. And she's going to be the one taking the mo- money. Maybe that's not suspicious. So there are, there are two other things I want to talk about that are kind of working against Stephen Avery here that are never presented in the documentary. Yep. Never even hinted at. Um, there's apparently th- this idea, and they, they all kind of, come from ken kratz's comments after the fact uh according to like 
comments on this documentary, things that we didn't see. Uh-huh. So take it for what you will. If you don't believe Ken Kratz in any respect, feel free to dismiss these. Uh-huh. But as a, D, as a district attorney, I want, I'm inclined to slightly believe him. Okay. Uh, he says that Stephen had potentially been harassing Teresa at her job for a while and had also called her three times on the day of her disappearance. Stephen? Stephen himself. Oh, because yeah. I thought that there was uh, her – the way it was presented in the documentary is that there was someone harassing Teresa. Her boss didn't know who. But they they brushed that aside very quickly. Okay. It's, it's like mentioned in an offhanded comment, right? Yeah. Not dwelled on. The other thing is Ken Kratz says DNA – from Stephen was found on the the latch under the hood of Teresa's car, uh-huh. and th- and it was from her sweat. Now, Strang, who I'm much more inclined to believe, says that it was never proven to be from his sweat, but it was his DNA. Uh, and there's there's also there's no source of sweat that we know of, right? Like if you want to say, hey, this blood was planted, well, there's a source of blood. We don't really have a source of his sweat, other than you know people sweat, yeah, and maybe they got a piece of his clothing or something uh-huh. uh, and planted that there. I suppose it could be planted. I saw that. The, see, that's the thing is I, I saw that the test that they used to say that there was something, a problem the way that that was collected. And the fact that there's also, there was fingerprints on the hood, huh. but there weren't, there weren't Stevens. So there was, a, okay. and, and they didn't actually use that in a trial because there were inconclusive, like, on the face of it, like inconclusive problems, let alone the should have been inconclusive but weren't inconclusive tests that they did use. Yeah, and it's also hard to say from, you know, finger. Even if there were Stephen's fingerprints on the car, does that mean murder? Like, did was he talking to her and leaned up against the car? Like, yeah, you know, there's a million scenarios in which fingerprints are not incriminating. Yeah, uh, but I, I don't know. I don't know. There's a, a lot to consider there. Uh, the the problem for me was like the assumption that Stephen was this horrible guy, and we never saw any of that in the documentary. I feel sure. like that was presented in the prosecution's case, uh, the, but we just never saw it. Yeah. Uh, what was the other one you wanted to talk about? You said there was two issues. Yeah, that was that was the two: the sweat on the latch, and also the the calls. Oh, oh okay. Stephen. Sorry. Uh, there's one other thing I want to say about Brendan's case. You know, I feel like that's the biggest miscarriage of justice across sure. the board. Because uh, the thing is, if you if you think that the th- prosecutor's theory of the crime is incorrect, which I do, yeah. then it seems like Brendan is completely innocent. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that, like, at the trial that his cousin recanted her testimony t- entirely, like, yeah. I don't understand how in the fuck that they... All of the evidence, like the defense, all the evidence they had is evidence that Stephen did it. The only evidence that Brent, Brendan did it is that he said he did, but that yeah. confession was clearly co- – like, I can't see how you can watch that three hours and come away with anything, but this kid was coerced. Yeah, and it, it felt like – so obviously he got he got run roughshod over by Lynn Kaczynski and whoever that investigator that that – Guy who elicited the the draw, Michael O'Kelly, the this one who the mere sight of a blue ribbon just bursts into tears. What the fuck was up with that? I, I feel like he's playing it up for the the audience, trying to get some, you know. Oh, I'm a human being. 
You're oh, gonna yeah. believe me when I talk about this, aren't uh, you? Like let's let's talk about the real victim here, Teresa, not this yeah, kid. Yeah, uh, this this guy's a joke. He because he had none of that sympathy for Brendan. No. Uh, going into that, seeing that he's clearly mentally challenged, uh, uh, unable to put up a defense against this, by all accounts, intelligent man, uh, telling him you did these things and you need to write it out. And then Brendan writes out a, a long ass confession that has nothing to do with Teresa. That is, here's the, the series of events. When he says, tell me the truth, he writes what his initial statement was, which Two is he pages. came home from school, he played some video games, his mom came home. His friend called him. His friend like, called him. He went over and did the bonfire, and he went back home and went to bed. Collected trash with Steven. Like, Everything, if anything, when, when it, you Whenever you told Brendan, it's like, okay, 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 just tell the truth. He always went yes. back to that original story. He did. Unless he was being coerced. And saying, well, that's not the truth. We know there was a gun involved. Like, like yeah. it's – I just thought that was the biggest joke in the world, that all the information that the cops had in secret that they could have actually used to corroborate this confession, Yeah, they blew because they just got impatient and put it into his head. Because this, We know there was the, a gun. Because the story wasn't true. Yeah. Because the story wasn't true. And, like, they go through and they say, here's – the real facts. He read a fucking book, and this kid who can barely tell reality from fiction is is making up stories because you know he just broke up. He just had his girlfriend bro- break up with him. Where the fuck is the testimony from this girlfriend? Get this ex girlfriend up on the stand and have her say, "Yes, I broke up with him." Can you believe that a sixteen year old with diminished mental capabilities would be distraught over this? Right. Fuck. Yes, I can. And they're saying he I lost was. 40 pounds. He lost like 10 pounds. He says and he they, lost 10 pounds. And, yeah. and they said that he was crying at parties. But the only one said that he was crying at parties was the, the, the cousin. Where, like, I, and maybe, maybe they did this and we didn't see it in the documentary. But I'm like, where are his teachers? Where are his school counselors? Where are his, uh, yeah. you know, other friends and family that could testify to his normal demeanor during this case? You know, I mean, even even if his demeanor was weeping in corners, like this kid has serious problems, right? And also, why you mentioned so there was apparently a gentleman's agreement to oh, not God. play an hour and a half of this confession tape, which includes what I think is devastating material, where he talks to his mom and says, "Mom, they got in my head. They got me all twisted up. I and got I didn't confused. do it. I yeah. didn't do it. They, I said that because." And the thing is, the cops did say, if you tell us these things, we will help you. Yeah. You want to go home. We want to help you. And a kid that's 16 years old and IQ is 70, let me – I don't think people realize what IQ is 70 means. Like, well, 30 points, like average intelligence is 100, 30, you know, less than 30. Like, what does that even mean? Sure. Like, that's that's still a passing grade in school, 70 out of 100, right? Yeah. Um, I found this information on, on on Reddit. You know, of course, this is take a grain of salt that this person really is who they say. But they had. Can multiple... I just say before you do this? Yep. Genius level IQ is one hundred and forty. Sure. So that shows you the difference between that's 30, the, 40 points. So that's right. That actually genius level is I think one hundred twenty-eight because it's standards of deviation. That so uh, IQ is seventy is two standard deviations below. Yeah. So I'm looking at the the, the at. I just did a quick Google search. Uh, rough guide, 115 to 124 is considered above average intelligence. Oh, is it? Okay. So 115, 15 points off the norm. So so this kid's a full twice that below the norm. 70 IQ or below puts you at 2% of the population. Wow. Okay. That that helps because like, we're on a bell curve. You're at the very extreme end of the bell curve. Yeah. This psychologist says, um, you know – 
talking about the 70 IQ in question, we are assuming this is an attest. Oh, we already talked about this. Uh, this is about 2% of the population have an IQ this lower, lower. Uh, the problem with low IQ is it's often associated with other disabilities and a deficit's not often global. So you can have people about this level who can seem quite normal or might have obvious issues of speech that make the disability more apparent. So it becomes much more difficult to talk about of typical. 70 is borderline intellectual disability. They probably can hold down employment with some support. They can probably have at least basic literacy and numeracy. They might be able to live independently, might be able to have a family of their own. Their disability will probably be noticeable to their peers and teachers from early school years, probably from around the time they're being taught reading and adding. 70 is borderline, which means these people are not going to be able to do all of these things. And that's the difference between Stephen, who also has an IQ of 70, but has score, apparently scores higher on the adaptability and social, um, uh, social skills level, and Brandon, who has a... Uh, uh, an IQ of 70 and scores low on adapt adaptability yeah, and social yeah. skills level. It's why Steven could be more successful than Brendan with the same rough IQ neighborhood. Sure. But just the thing. So, so we're talking about persons that are, that, that are only 2% of the society that are this impaired or lower as far as making cognitive decisions. And, and they're 16. Can I just add that most, most IQ classification systems only have one category below what he would be considered at. Right. And it's 69 and below. Right. So he's right on the cusp of being in the lowest possible cl- IQ classification. And another, and this, this psychologist also said that the margin of error is usually plus or minus two. So he could be anywhere from 68 to 72, sure. okay. which means like, you know, like when you're right on that threshold, it could go either way. Yeah. I, and I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that this kid is unable to to tell in some cases fiction from reality and is unable to defend himself against people who are putting pressure on him. Yes. To, and saying, if you do these things, this is how, this is how we, like it's, an you want to have a figure. family, don't you? Well, you got to tell us yeah. these things. You got to confess. Yeah. Now, if a lawyer was there, he'd be like, Brent, they're, they're full of shit. Cops lie to you. Cops yeah. are allowed to lie. And I'm like, I get it. Cops can lie. And that's part of interrogation and all that stuff. But it seems like there should be exceptions for, Everyone under 18 or yep, anyone yep. that has a mental disability. Absolutely. Uh, and I just I, – I, I, it's crazy to me that you can convict and execute people at this mental level. They, they also make it very clear that, you know, not, not only were they telling him, look, Brendan, you want to have a family or whatnot. He thought – he thought he was going. That was the heartbreaking thing. After this, like, just hey, tell us what, I, what you are know. Are we going to be finished by one forty-five? Because I have a test this afternoon. I don't want to miss yeah. it. Yeah, he has no this kid idea. Doesn't understand what is happening to him. And then when they come in, all on, they're almost ashamed. Like, you, you, so you know, you're you're not going home, right, Brandon? They should from all be. the things they, they talked be. about. Like, they're sheepish about it, and he's clearly has no idea. Yeah, I, I mean, the idea that like. That no one has suffered any consequences aside from. I also thought Brendan it was super fishy and here. I also and, thought and Teresa. Also thought it was super fishy that they are harassing Jody. Yeah, and like get and doing giving her the same treatment. Stephen did it. We know he did it. Tell you you know he's he's had to say something to you about it. it was and and she's like the whole time like no no fuck you no and they're. She gets arrested something ridiculous like ten times in three months. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Like they're clearly harassing For driving and past him her. and smiling. The the second that she, you know, they they pressure her into not having a relationship with Stephen, and she fucks off and moves away and doesn't have anything to do with him. Then they shift focus to Brendan. 
Yeah. Like, like literally, like it was like a, the, 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 sec, the two days after they lost that primary lead, it's like, well, let's pick up the next person to apply pressure, and they got gold. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know, made, it made me pretty sick. What else do we want to talk about? Because I've got feedback. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was one of the most outrageous things is just the way that Brendan got railroaded. Uh, Trisha DB says, I love the defense lawyers. I know I'm not the only one to develop the crush on these guys with their super attractive brains. I just want to once again mention Dean Strang and Jerry Buting. Yeah, heroes of the story, in my opinion. Who, now again, they're... I don't care if Stephen Avery did it or not. Right. These are the guys who are giving him the fair shake that he deserves. Yes. As a presumed innocent man. And the thing is, he wouldn't have got him if he didn't have six figures that fell into his lap. He would have got the Lynn Kaczynski. So that Brendan got, he would have, and, and the second attorney that Brendan got, I think was better. But the one thing you, you hinted at that we didn't talk about in detail yeah. is this gentleman's agreement. Yes. Uh, I think the prosecution fucked Brendan on that they too, did. because th- there's a moment in the documentary where they say, Oh, we have a gentleman's agreement not to show the rest of this doc uh, of this, uh, videotaped confession from Brendan, which is that hour and a half you mentioned. What I heard was a gentleman's his, agreement that they wouldn't use any of the conversations with his mother. But the, the the prosecutor did use the the yeah. pretty damning conversation he had, where the cop said, "You need to tell your mother this before we do, Brandon, or you're, it's going to be worse for you." They go ahead and they use it. They use yeah. it anyway. And they even use though even though he like ten minutes after that conversation, he goes back to the story is like, "Well, you know, I didn't really do it. It's just stuff I'm saying." Yeah. Like it's fucking bizarre. Yeah. So there's that gentleman agree- agreement that I think was betrayed. But yeah, D- Dean Strang. Uh, Jerry Buting, I think. Is it yeah. Jerry? Yeah. Uh, those guys, those guys are awesome. But They're true lawyers. Here's the thing about America, and we say we're a classless society. <laughs> it's uh-huh. hard to argue this because if you're, I mean, you know, we talk about the difference between justice between minorities and non-minorities, mm-hmm. but it's not just that. It's like if you're poor, if you're uneducated, if you're a minority that are fall, or, uh, that that classically is stereotyped into those categories, you are fighting an uphill battle because you can't afford the lawyers you need to get you out of the situation that you're in. Yeah, and they're not going to be provided to you because no. you know I, I read another thing is like people are like oh district attorneys they just want you to settle or they want you to work out a plea deal plea deal. That's because 90% of the time, 99% of the time, that's the best move for the client to take. Yeah. Like, you don't have the wherewithal. We don't have the resources to properly investigate this. The the prosecutor will give you one-tenth of the sentence if you just plea so his conviction rate looks good. And that's how we're locking up so many fucking – like, if we weren't locking an unprecedentedly high percentage of our civilian population up – Higher than China, higher than Russia, higher than Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. higher than any other North Korea, but per capita. If we weren't busy doing that, maybe we would have the resources. Yeah. So we would have a better system of justice. Mm-hmm. But when this is becoming the McDonald's system of justice, that shit gets thrown out the window. It has to. You have to get people served within X amount of time. If so, so think of that. If like ninety some percent of people in federal and and state courts plead. What if everyone said, I'm not guilty? The system would instantly fly apart and it, it, it literally would sure. grind to a halt. Yeah. That's a pro- <laughs> if everyone asked for their constitutional right for his fair and speedy trial, we literally couldn't give it to them. Yeah. Fucked up, man. That's fucked up. Uh, let's move on to Jordan K. Um, she is, I, I just want to go really quickly see if there's anything that we missed. 
Um, who's, she, who's the other guy? Um, who's I want to say he was like the lawyer for either Stephen's first case or or like the yes. guy who got him exonerated. They got him exonerated. He's also a hero. That yes. guy knows what he's doing. I don't know his name, and also the people working for the Innocence Project. Uh, also, yeah, yeah, because what they're I mean, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of people being freed on DNA evidence that were convicted and sometimes on death row. Mm-hmm. And I guess you know this. I've been heading this way for a while about not being supporting the death penalty. I think this documentary is a nail in the coffin. I cannot I don't think that the state can in good conscience execute people when you have these cases of people being I mean it's one thing to jail a person but you can always undo that mistake. You kill yeah, a person. I mean, it, I don't know, it depends on how strong the evidence is and how I don't I don't I don't give a shit man. Are. No one is 100% certain. I mean would you say that about Stephen Avery getting out on DNA evidence? No, because you can also undo that mistake. You can't undo killing somebody. Sure. Especially a person that's under the age of 18 or has an IQ of 70 or below. I don't know, man. You get somebody on tape doing something like I understand why recorded people, footage of and someone I, murdering I, some other people. I I don't agree that the death penalty is never warranted. I don't understand that. But those cases are so few and far between that. Sure, but your blanket statementing. I yes, I never am. warranted. I am because I'm very much. And I'd I rather a hundred men go free, and that, that's I have problems with that. Hundred men go free. Uh, uh, I'd rather let a hundred guilty men go free than jail one innocent. Mm-hmm. If you believe that, you know, literally. I don't know, but I, I feel like I'm coming upon a, que- a a clear white line that you can't kill people. The state, like I understand why you want to, and I understand why it feels good. I understand the whole hateful eight. You know, uh, you only have to hang mur- uh, murderous bastards, but murderous bastards you have to hang. I just think that I don't know that the state should have that power because I don't think they've shown themselves to be responsible with it. And yes, uh, maybe I, I don't know. I, may, so, how many people do you think like would be a, you know are on are on tape murdering somebody with clear, inconvertible, unpopular? But you're telling me that you don't think evidence. that those people are deserving of being killed? No, I'm saying they're deserving to be killed. But I'm but saying you're not. What that, you're saying by not giving the government say- the power to do that is that no, those people in fact shouldn't be killed. No, I'm even saying we have- that I'm saying that the tip of the iceberg type of people that should be killed are not worth it. That the hidden, much larger people that could be innocent, or there could be evidence exonerated. That, that I'm not saying we need to keep things exactly as they are now. What I'm saying is, if you have incontrovertible proof that someone has in fact murdered one potentially a lot more people, I don't. I don't think we should not have the ability to kill them. Why? What materially from a public safety? So let's talk. I'm not saying we here. should have the ability to kill people who we're not certain of. What what's but we have we've, I know. we've killed many. I, that's proven. why I'm saying like there needs to be some kind of reform there. But I don't think we should have that power stripped completely. So what's the material difference from a public safety standpoint from life in prison and it's more expensive? But I think there's a justice. I, I think there's a justice. So standpoint. society has to kill a person eye for eye, life for life, for justice to be served. In some cases, in some cases, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I actually agree with that philosophy. I just don't think that the right, where we're right now, the cost benefit is worth it. So I almost I I kind of agree with you there. Like I, I don't think we're doing it correctly. But I don't, but I don't know, think it it can't me, be done. Like everyone needs to stop killing people until we agree to, on a set of standards and guidelines where stuff is one hundred percent proven. And I don't know that that bar- okay. And I don't know that I barrier will ever that. get there. And to me, it's like I would rather not kill people and, until we can get to the state where we're sure that we're not killing the wrong people. 
And right I, I now, think, okay, we're I agree nowhere with that. fucking I agree with that. here. And then you add yeah. to the whole, the way we're executing people is fucking preposterous. It's arguably more barbaric than just a guillotine. Like um, an electric chair? Do we still do that shit? We do injections, right? I think in right? some states, but lethal injection, there's huge problems with that because they're not performed by medical procedures. Uh, I mean, know. what do you want? Bullet to the head? That's pretty quick. I, I Honestly, I just I, I said what I meant. I meant what I said. The guillotine is more fucking <laughs> merciful than the way we're killing people right now in the vast majority of cases. Right, yeah. Just, just a, give them a fucking liter of heroin. That will kill them. <laughs> You know, and they're not going to feel any pain like there's ways uh, to do it. But I'm saying like I finally have come around to I'm 100 percent against the death penalty without a ton of review. And I don't even know what that review and reform would look like for me to get back on board. OK, with so. those caveats, I think I agree with you. Um, so I want to go through Jordan's email, see if we missed any issues. She mentions that the biggest problems she has with the conviction is the copious amount of involvement the county had with the investigation. Again, I don't think we talked about that enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If the DA says this county needs to back off because there's clear conflicts of interest, you have to fucking back off. And evidence that these people that were involved in depositions, incriminating yeah. themselves, collecting evidence is horseshit. Should have never happened. Yeah, they, they want their cake and they want they want to eat it. Too, That's right? almost reasonable doubt by itself. Like, let's say there was nobody planting evidence. Let's say Stephen Avery did it, and they want what they want is the public to see them as having completely backed off this thing yes. and yet provide assistance in they lied to the catching public. this guy, right? They lied to the public on many occasions, which yeah. directly made Stephen's presumption of innocence uh, evaporate. That's the thing. Like Ken Kratz lies to the public, right? He says, oh, they're backing off. We're not – like yes. they won't be involved in the procedure, in the investigation at all. And then they never – like the Manitowoc Police Department, Sheriff's Department, whatever, doesn't ever say that. No, but they're involved, and so like Ken Kratz is lying, and there was there was strong they like you know they had to have people escort on day one, which is not the the what what the district attorney said. Even to that do. shouldn't be allowed. But then Get three days into it, there. there there was a guy. There's one guy that was in the same room as four guys, and he's like, "Oh, I don't think anything happened. How could you know? Are you so you one, got four <laughs> eyes that you're watching all these guys? What yeah. the fuck? No, I really like the one guy they put up on the stand. It was some guy who was blonde and was from like the Calumet County. Yes investigators and he's like well yeah it's possible they certainly could have planted something you know i wasn't told that i was supposed to keep a hawk's eye on these guys there's some people that are being honest because there's a far too many people saying i don't believe in dna evidence and this guy's guilty no matter what people say so uh, yeah i want to give some credit to like some of the calumet county guys and some of the (laughs) other investigators who were not not sugarcoating it or bullshitting people they they do they're doing their job uh, the convenient way in which Teresa's key was found in Stevens' trailer, I feel like we covered that. The fact that Stevens' blood vial had clearly been tampered with, even though there was no record of it being handled, damning. The fact that Teresa's key had none of her DNA on it, yep. Um, uh, the recorded phone call about the license plate number check, we talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, sh- they, Jordan mentions, I don't even want to jump into the barrel of atrocity. It was the Brendan Dassey interrogation. <laughs> These officers should have charges brought against them. I mean, I don't know about that because I don't think that they broke any law, but the law needs to change. I mean, Lynn Kaczynski broke a law. He broke his oath, certainly. He certainly, I, con- he certainly can made ethical breaches that I think should have got him disbarred instead of being rewarded with promotions and whatnot. I mean, if you take – so I don't know. I don't know enough about – like, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a police officer or anything like that. I don't know if about, enough about the oath that they take, but if you're if you believing that girl from the Innocence Project, that woman from the Innocence Project, uh-huh. uh, 
part of that oath is that they have to represent their clients' wishes in the way that they want them to. And Lynn Kaczynski certainly was not doing that. Yeah. Um, Amy in the UK, which it's in personally embarrassing for me that people in other countries are watching this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, what must you think so. of the country right now? We've got yokels taking over government buildings. We've got this miscarriage of justice Donald happening. Fucking Trump. We've got Donald Trump. Um, like I watched in his, in, I watched in the entirety his um rally in Vermont Friday. Oh, really? I can't believe he's the shit. a lunatic. I can't believe the shit that he's saying, and like, that, that he's leading the polls with that shit. He's he's running he's running a comedy hour in which he refuses to tell anybody what his plans are. He just says, "I'm going to make something much. I'm going to replace I'm going to replace Affordable Care Act with something much better. You'll see, much yeah. better." My theory is that this is he's trying to SNL proof himself. Like, how do you parody a man who's a parody of himself? Yeah. Like how how do you how do you do if I ran you go into the negotiating table and you tell them they're not getting anything and then when they complain you walk <laughs> and then you, uh-huh. you you increase the sanctions on them then you come back and they're like uh, you know we want to talk about the prisoners or we're not going to give you the prison then you just walk no like, then you come back and you find out they got nukes and they're pointing them at you and they're like yeah you know now we're going to inflict our will upon or they you. started a war with one of our allies and it's a major shitstorm like yeah. it's just unbelievable the shit that he's saying in public and nobody. Like I, I, I don't know. It's weird. It's really. Have you really heard the weird. latest Dan Carlin Common Sense podcast? Yes. Which I think is funny because the a good one, one before that, Dan Carlin's like, I kind of like Donald Trump. He's an outsider. He's shaking things up. And the next one is like, I've come around on Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a well, dangerous he, man that must be stopped. He still likes Donald Trump in the in. I don't think in the so. spectacle of it. I, with, with he's talking. To, uh, I don't want to get into it here. Okay. But, Let's, yeah, I, I enjoyed that podcast. So Amy from the UK, across the pond, um, she, she talks about the Ken Kratz and his, his you know, bread and circus routine with the storytelling conference. Uh-huh. Talks about um, the cop making the license plate call in Teresa's car. Um, you know, she says, I don't know anything about the American justice system. I can't believe that there are no special circumstances for Brendan, who is quite clearly a mentally handicapped individual and a child. Watching his long silences scrambling for the words he thought the people wanted to hear was physically painful to me. Yes, it was. I think that's the that's the one I went to bed on and I couldn't sleep. Yeah. Um, also questions why the court wasn't allowed to hear the part of the interview, the gentleman's agreement we talked about. She also mentioned something I want to touch on. Seeing Teresa's brother blindly follow the influence of the police was kind of sad. Sure, he wanted justice for his sister, but I think that sometimes clouded his mind to real courtroom facts were being revealed right in front of him. I I don't like, you know, there's a popular theory that this that the ex-boyfriend of Teresa murdered her, <laughs> which makes some sense, but it seems like if he did, he'd have to have her brother's involvement. You know, the hacking of the voicemails, we didn't talk about that. And the fact yeah, that he the was allowed stuff is fishy. He was allowed on the pro- him and his brother, her brother were allowed on the property. And then the the journalist said, "Well, who else has been allowed on the property?" And they're like, "Oh, oh, wait, wait, we didn't mean." And acted really weird and defensive. I don't want to go yeah. down the road of accusing someone's brother of because yes, he acted weird and it was kind of. But then when he gave this speech to the judge about why Stephen should be put away, he was very emotional about it. I think you're seeing a guy. I don't know. I I, I find it. I don't like it when people criticize other people on their demeanor and how they acted in an incredibly stressful emotional situation. Yeah. What is the normal human behavior? 
And then what is a standard deviation? What is two standard deviations away from normal? And that's not the same as being shady or fishy or guilty. I understand that's sure. how it looks. Yeah. But I, you know, again, we got to learn the lessons from this fucking documentary. Yeah. Uh, she goes, as soon as the court seemed to accept that the woman's explanation that God guided them to the car and Avery lot, I knew it was going to be an utter shit show. So God guided you, but you don't think there's anything noteworthy about the fact that you were given a map by the roommate and ex-boyfriend, and you just happened to be the only person whom they gave a camera to? Agreed. It's super fishy. My only problem is I don't see any theory that he was involved that doesn't involve the brother, and I just don't believe that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what this map is. I mean, is it a... It's literally just an aerial shot of the compound, or is it like X marks the spot? Like, go check here. I thought it was just directions on to this the, ridge, the junkyard, the which car isn't will suspicious be at no, all. No, that's not suspicious in any way. But if you have multiple search parties and you give one the camera to, I and and also you combine that with the cop calling in the license plates, and I think the family was involved as a as a third arm of the investigation, which is illegal. Or if it's not, then they're held to the same standards that the that the courts were like. She needed to have reasonable cause to be on there, and and, yeah. and I feel like that there's something fishy along. But again, I don't know that I would do anything different if cops called and said, hey, we found a murder vehicle. It's on this person's property. We can't go in there, but if you'd be a huge help if you came in there and found it for us. I don't or know I'm, that I'd I say no. I also think it's, it's possible that, like, look, we Teresa had told us about this guy, Stephen Avery, harassing her with phone calls or whatever. Yeah. Now she's disappeared. We want to get somebody over on this property to check it out because he's our prime suspect. Like, yeah. whatever the police say, yeah. we don't care, whatever. Stephen Avery is where we're looking. Yeah. Uh, go take this camera in case you find anything. I can totally see that, right? I, like, they suspected him. I also thought it was horseshit that the, and I guess this is Wisconsin law, this third party guilt thing, that the defense couldn't reasonably point to other suspicious people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Unless they had investigative evidence that they could uh, uh, reveal. But the cops themselves didn't look at anyone, literally anyone. Like, yeah. And again, like I don't think that the roommate, ex-roommate, ex-lover had anything to do with it. Sure. But that is a prime suspect. Yeah. It's the same thing. And it, it's... Also, it's fairly persuasive. It's the same thing that happened to Steven the first time around. Also, so I, we talked about the brother and the ex-lover. I want to talk about this other Avery guy who went deer hunting in the middle of the afternoon, took a shower before and after, and his only alibi is the other guy who they passed each other on the highway. It seems like if if Steven oh, didn't Bar- murder like it. Brendan Dassey's father-in-law? And, and also, I think it's Steve's nephew. I don't know exactly how these, but these these are both on the property. I think it's like Steve's brother. But you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, these guys have several accounts of sexual harassment and battery and other stuff against them. They're huh. on the property. They okay. have, they know that Steven is going through this stuff and they know how the county works. If they murdered Teresa, took her body, burnt it in, at the quarry, and then deliberately scattered her ashes to incriminate Steven. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense to me. And those guys were, and, and they had inconsistent testimony. And again, their only alibi was each other. I feel like if you're going to look at someone, I don't think the cops did it. I don't think the ex-lover did it. Although it would be a shame that that wasn't investigated. I think it was someone on Avery property. Here's the, so yeah. Had to be. That's... Because else you have to buy that, again, someone was setting Steven up deliberately, knowing that Teresa's going to be there, followed her, killed her. You know, and did all this shit on an incredibly tight timeline. 
Yeah, it's weird to me that the bones are scattered across the property because <laughs> there's one. There's some in a burn barrel. That doesn't make it less likely to be yeah. found. That makes it more likely to be found. But if they Let's wanted put these it to in be, more places, if they wanted to be Stephen to be again, it's it's a high stakes game. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't have any theories on who might have done it. Uh, Karen. KH says, how is this going to get the governor or president to see justice done? Please tell me. I want to see our system fair and ju- and not unjust. I want to see it without prejudices. Pre- These two deserve it. President can't do shit. It's a state. It's in state court, not federal. Yeah. So the president. Literally, like, it does no good hounding Obama over petitions to. Yeah. And he said as guy. much. He said to as pardon much. This guy, yeah. And, um, you know, you don't want to throw the baby out of the bathwater. You do not want the president being able to meddle. I mean, there's a whole there's a reason the states are, have some sort of sovereignty and there's a lot of yeah. checks and balances. Let's not throw the baby out of the bathwater here. The governor, Scott Walker, he has not pardoned a single person in his entire career. He says he's not going to start with Stephen Avery. I think you could apply pressure there, but I don't. I think we need to cool off talks on pardons and talk about getting this a fair judicial review because so far every court has refused to look to re, to look at it. And yeah, if, and if you read that, that, that's part of it is the way the appeals process works is I don't think they're allowed to look at like they're not allowed to argue the facts again. It's basically were yeah. procedural errors in arriving at the verdict and the sentencing incorrect. Yeah. That's a much narrower scope. Or has new shit come to light. Or has new shit, yeah, <laughs> has new shit come to light. Has the dude come forward with new shit. Yep. Now, you, you made a good point when we were talking about this just informally before the podcast is that, because I'm like, I don't understand why the appellate courts, our hands are tied in such a way. And yeah. you're like, well, if we, our justice system is the jury of your peers, do mm-hmm. you really want a panel of judges going and deciding what the facts are and deciding whether the jury's, you know, really... Yeah. That's it takes it out of the jury's hands to a yeah. large degree, which I mean, if that's what you want, fine, that's what you want. But then you have fewer people deciding the the matter here, and people who are more involved. Yeah. Um. Another good point. Beth B M said, "If nothing else, this dot caused me and my husband to call our teenage son into the living room and tell him that if a police officer ever wants to question him about anything, <laughs> he has declined politely and call one of us immediately and not say a word after that." What happened to Brendan yeah. Dassey makes me sick to my stomach. What's bald move rule number one, Jim? Don't talk to the police without a lawyer present. Exactly. And though <laughs> that is words to live by. Because if Absolutely. you're a suspect, you are not talking yourself out of that hole. You're talking yourself into that hole. Even if yeah. you're, even and especially if you're completely innocent. I'm going to post yet again on this podcast a link to a YouTube series from Put, presented by a police officer and a defense attorney mm-hmm. that says beyond a shadow of a doubt why you should never talk to police in an investigation. Yeah. I mean, the, the very, the very minimum, they know how to convict people. They know yes. what they're looking for. You don't. They can lie to you. They can lie. They can straight up lie to you. They know the laws. You don't. They know the evidence that they have. You don't. They know yeah. that you might th- say stuff that you think is is putting you in the innocence when it fits in the profile of what they're trying to prove. You know, again, like Steve could say a bunch yeah. of shit. He had no idea that they're going to accuse him of chaining this woman to his bed, beating her, raping her, involving his, his nephew, yep, slashing her throat, dragging her to the ground. I mean, like he had no idea. So stuff he could have said, look, I just stayed home. That could be incriminating. You don't know. Talk to a lawyer. The lawyer will know. Yeah, you have no context. They do. Yes. Yes. Let so. the lawyer work it, uh, work it out between the police. 
You can fully cooperate with a lawyer's supervision. Yep. Uh, Sarah KG, um, I think she says it's most of the same stuff. It's, uh, she, you know, she feels especially sick about Brendan Dassey. Uh, the documentary is well done. It gave you the facts that they wanted. It really left, I was left really wanting to know what was the motive for the murder. It seems like no yeah. one that fa- in that family is smart enough to carry out or cover up a murder. All of them seem less than smart. Although I did want to say this, that like, there's a lot of people saying that. But other than Steve and Brendan, like, his dad and mom, they ran a successful company that made enough money that they could afford lawyers for Brendan. They could afford decently nice cars. Like, yeah, they dressed like fools. But that's kind of like their culture. Yeah, they're, they're, this guy made it. Was, country bumpkins. He like, bought this big – he was going to start a fish so farm on his property. Like, And he made his own concrete forms. Like, these, yeah. there's different types of smarts in the world. It's easy to look at those people and say, look at these yokels. But that's part these... of the class situation yes. in America. Yeah. Like, I found it hard to not think of myself as better than the Averys. And it's easy, like, uh, Stephen Avery shows up with, shows up to fucking, uh, I don't know, TV appearances with district attorneys and legal officials and stuff, wearing fucking cut-off jeans and tube socks and ratty ass they're wearing t-shirts. the NASCAR, NASCAR jackets they got from mail box tops of cigarette cartons. They dress him up like a goddamn <laughs> clown from the 20s in a bad yeah, prison movie. So, and, like the Monopoly and suit. parade yeah. him through the fucking yeah. courtroom in front of the jury. What do you expect? What kind of judgment do you expect these people to make on him? Yep. Like, it's hard to stay impartial when they're doing shit like that. And you know what? I'm, I'm about to watch the O.J. Simpson uh, movie yeah, series on FX, sure. which is its own zoo and abortion of justice <laughs> in its own way. And like, am I part of the problem? Yeah, it's interesting. I was young when that happened, so I'm looking forward to seeing. And I hear it's like Chuck Klosterman is on Bill Simmons, and he said it's it's terrible. It, this is a terrible series, but it's also fucking awesome. Like just <laughs> okay, just just and the excess that everyone brings to it. So yeah, I'm definitely going to watch it, but. There's something gross about that too, man. Sure. I uh, I don't know. Um uh let's see. I think I'm mm, don't see a lot here. Oh, I want to read this email. This is from Doug L who is a defense lawyer. Um and who wrote in a couple times on Better Call Saul and he's weighed in on legal matters before. He says I just finished watching this last night and as an attorney whose practice includes defending police departments in civil litigation like the one Avery filed, I thought I'd share a few non-spoilery thoughts. First and foremost, always keep in mind in a documentary like this that you are seeing what the filmmakers want you to see. Yep. We as the audience may not have seen all the facts, and we may not have seen things a jury never got to see. That, of course, does not mean that Avery is guilty or innocent or that the cops did or did not make mistakes. It simply means that you have to be tentative in trying to solve the puzzle if you don't get to see all the pieces. Second, police are allowed to lie to suspects during interrogations. Courts everywhere in the country have affirmed that deception is a reasonable tactic to gather information. Again, that's not necessarily to defend the tactics employed in this instance. There are certainly limits to what they can do, but deception in and of itself is not automatically a constitutional violation. Agreed. Third, you must be careful about judging forensic science based on shows like CSI. (laughs) The show presents almost no forensic science with a few notable exceptions. Just because the show didn't discuss a test doesn't mean it should have been run and wasn't. It may also be that the results were inconclusive or edited out for one reason or another. Fourth, Don't be disheartened about the judicial system simply because of this documentary. 
The whole purpose of it is to hold a magnifying glass to the worst parts of it. My personal experience, however, is the vast majority of professionals who work in the legal system are competent, ethical, and dedicated. By and large, the system works even if it works slowly. That's what I want to take a slight disagreement with because I don't doubt that the vast majority of professionals are competent, ethical, and dedicated. I just think that the system itself is a shit show because due to the war on terror, due to the war on poverty, due to the war on drugs, the police have, and the prosecutors have all the power, and we the people have slowly given up all those powers. And I don't know what it's going to take to get that stuff back, but you can profession, like I said, it, it, it could be the 90% of the time a defense attorney is perfectly justified in urging their client to take a plea deal. But that's only because of the way the system is set up currently. And to me, yeah, I don't feel like that, especially if you're talking about minorities and poor people and uneducated people, mm-hmm. the, the parts of society that are most vulnerable to predation are the ones least protected by the system. Yeah. And I keep it's coming true. back to that problem in the American system of justice. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, if I can play devil's advocate for a minute. Uh, to to try and like throw so throw some light on the other side of this, uh, there wouldn't be a story here unless there were egregious failings sure. on the parts of these these ridiculous fools who claim to be law enforcement officials sure. and uh, I, I don't know uh, what do you call it? I, other than lawyers, I don't know the word for it. Prosecutors. <laughs> Yeah, but the capacity in which they serve Law and order, chong chong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there wouldn't be a story here. So, like, obviously some, there would be failings in this story or sure. there would be nothing to tell, right? And I yep. think that's kind of where he's getting at. Like, the yeah. vast majority – there aren't 100 billion documentaries about this shit because there aren't 100 billion cases like this. Yeah. The, the, the failings happen in these small amount of cases and those get made into these big things. But I think which, if you which look, is fair. like if you look at the house I live in, and you look at yeah. like just you know when you start talking Some of the about smaller like stories let's talk of... about drug cases and what gets people thrown away for years yes. and for life and what doesn't the fact that they can't afford bail how about that yep <laughs> yep and the fact that, that, that will gets, get you thrown away yeah, for a year you can't pay a ticket suddenly now you're got a warrant for your arrest you can't appear and you got to plead guilty and you get a public defender who doesn't give a shit and has seven minute interview with and you, you and then goes directly into court where you're sentenced yeah like, now now you've lost your job and now you get out and you're homeless and now you're yeah. it's like it's that's the kind of stuff that i don't think is fair and the other thing is like i agree yeah this case should have had the bigness magnifying glass on it because of the circumstances involving steven before he came into the court the second time <laughs> but i'm not seeing any evidence of that and also all the systems of judicial review and not just on steven but i look at the kin kratz thing it doesn't seem like it was very just. It doesn't seem like that people are interested in looking at the problems until you shine a spotlight on it. So sure, yeah. it's hard for me to say that, oh, um, I mean, everyone that worked with Ken Kratz probably thought he was a saint until this scandal came and broke out. So it's like, how do you know that the people you're working with are all clean mm-hmm. unless you're shining a spotlight? And how do you shine if you don't know when to shine a spotlight? And even when the spotlight's on the case the brightest, you still have shit like this going down. That erodes faith in the system for me. Sure. I totally And, like, if this is going yeah. in the backwoods of Wisconsin, what the hell is going on in Chicago? What the hell is going yeah. on in L.A.? What's going on in New York? Where everything is much less visible thanks to the statistics, right? Exactly. The numbers. Exactly. But even Doug, he says, um, 
All that said, fuck that Lynn guy. How he didn't get disbarred is beyond me. <laughs> Again, yeah. yeah, I would feel a lot better about this case if there was a, a at the end there was a thirty second thing of Lynn is now <laughs> disbarred of a lawyer and he's uh-huh. working at Mattress City and can, you know. But I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing these people are being promoted to judges and you know state yeah. prosecutors and have evaded any kind of justice at all. The moment that guy stepped on screen, I was like, this guy's a fuckhead. Yeah, he's here to get promoted. That's it. Yeah, so that is what we've got to say about that. The show notes will contain a link to, if you want to do more, if you want to look at more, and I caution people, when you step onto this Reddit subreddit, there is a lot of wild speculation, and I can see a person being radicalized in one direction or another, but if you want to know more, it's the single best way to get more information. It's the Making a Murder subreddit, reddit slash r slash Making a Murderer. I'm also going to include a couple of YouTube series on why the right to remain silent and why your right to an attorney is so crucial. If you're one of those yeah. people like, well, if you've got, cause that's the first thing the cops will say, well, if you got nothing to hide, why do you need an attorney? Why can't you just tell us the truth? That's it's bullshit. Cause you're lying to me and simple. trying to trick me. Also, that's why keep in mind what Doug just told you. The cops can lie to you. Yep. That is the biggest lie. They're going to tell you yep. that it's okay <laughs> to talk to us without an attorney. So I'm going to link that too. If this, they're not long. Uh, I think one of them is 45 minutes and others like 20 but watch it and, ha- and 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 remember it if if you are ever have the misfortune of falling in into the criminal justice system because i think you can't walk away from this documentary with anything but a kind of dread like well, it's the, i it's, i dread getting in this system yeah. the same way i would dread getting locked in with a tiger in a cage like maybe the tiger doesn't eat me maybe it does I feel like I have very little control and very little recourse once I enter this system that I'm going to come out of this system with my reputation tarnished at the minimum very and very much the poorer for it with 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 parts of my with time out of my precious life stripped from me and I'll never be able to get it back. And that's if I'm found innocent and I don't take a plea deal and I don't. So and as as my closing remarks here, I guess, <laughs> uh, if I were going to say to a juror of twelve of my peer, a jury of twelve of my peers, uh, ultimately where I come down on this is there was a miscarriage of justice. I don't want to say whether or not Stephen is innocent or guilty. I will say there's plenty of reasonable doubt. I think um, I'm surprised that he got convicted. We didn't even talk about I've, the, the hanky panky with the jury too. But here's the thing: I put myself. In large part, in in this podcast, in the position of playing devil's advocate for the prosecution, because the emotional and completely understandable reaction coming out of this documentary is Stephen Avery is a hundred percent innocent. The guys, yep. these guys, planted and framed every bit yep. of it. Let's write the president. Let's write the governor. Let's get yep. him pardoned. I don't think that's the appropriate response without having done a little bit more research, and so that's why. You know, I'm trying to present a little bit of the other side here. Where I come down on it is a little bit more in the middle, but kind of towards Stephen's side and absolutely toward Brendan's side. Do you think that we're approaching a critical moment here with the justice system and with police where the American people are about to say, we got to have a serious talk about this? Absolutely. And I think I've read a lot of articles like in the New York Times and other places of of lawyers and attorneys and and people in the system judges saying look this system is kind of fucked up yeah and we like everybody is starting to notice it the cracks are showing we need to fix this yeah it's coming from within now it's prosecutors are saying it judges are saying it like i get if you watch 
this, the house I live in and you watch this documentary and you've been paying attention to news in the last year, this isn't just a problem for young black men. This isn't just a problem for poor white people. This is a problem that's eroding our justice system and it's yeah. eroding our yeah. image in the world. Like, you know, it's again, I can't say this enough. America has more people locked up per capita than any nation in the fucking world. By a fairly wide margin. It's too. not even yeah. close. Like, yeah. how can that be in, in a so-called free society? Yeah. That we're running for-profit commercial prisons that are, you know, like... like. Do you really believe that we have that many more criminals yes. than the rest of the world on or, average? Or have are we finding increasing reasons to throw people in prison to keep that beast yeah. fed? Mm-hmm. And that's a truly frightening thing. And I don't know... I can't. I, I keep putting myself in the position of a person that spent 18 years in prison for something they didn't do. Can't even imagine. And I, 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 to me, like this feels like being buried alive. Like I think I'm more afraid of that than any kind of form of death because I just don't know how it makes me feel claustrophobic thinking about being in prison in the conditions that they're under for for no reason. Yeah. Um, it's scary. Sure. So there's the. There's our cheer. There, there's our cheery making a murder podcast. That's all I got. Hope you guys quote unquote enjoyed it. Uh, let's 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 be on the lookout for things we can do as citizens at the jury box, at the jury boxes, at the ballot boxes, on the soap boxes, and in, in public. And on, so let's look for look for ways we can work together to maybe solve some of these problems instead of just like we typically do, bitch about it for a few weeks and then on to the next one. Yeah. All right. Till next time, I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. Bye.